0: Welcome to LeGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Jesus tells a parable about what we should do with abundance. Whether it comes to money, time, resources, or even space, how are you utilizing your abundance? You're listening to Unsettled Grace by Seminarian Jody Van Wingerden. Our scripture text this morning is Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. If you'd like to follow along in the Bibles that are in front of you, it's on page 1619. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge between or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Where I grew up in Wisconsin, it was customary in my little school to have big musical programs at Christmas time and in the spring. When I was in elementary and middle school, a company called Agape Land Music enjoyed a lot of popularity in Christian school circles. Agape Land produced Bible-themed musicals for kids to perform. Perhaps some of you, if you went to school during the 80s like I did, recall Salty, the singing hymnal, or Bullfrogs and Butterflies, or my personal favorite, The Music Machine. Our school performed one of these musicals every spring, and it was a big deal. As a younger student, I eagerly anticipated the day that I would be one of the oldest kids, the sixth graders because it was always the sixth-graders who got to play the main characters in the shows. And when that day finally arrived, our school did a show called Down by the Creek Bank, and the main role was given to a boy in my class. I didn't even get one of the smaller parts. I was crushed, and truthfully, probably a bit put out, since I definitely would have considered myself to be the obvious choice for the main character. But then just a few days before the program, this boy got chicken pox. (laughs) He would not be able to do the program. So they needed a last-minute replacement. And guess who they asked? (laughs) Yes. Well, this was an even better situation for me because I not only got the spotlight after all, I also got to be the hero who saved the program from disaster. I was ecstatic, perhaps even gleeful, that this boy's misfortune was my good fortune. And apparently I didn't hide my giddiness very well. Because at one point during those few days, my homeroom teacher pulled me aside to point out my complete lack of sensitivity to the situation. I don't recall her exact words, but I can still remember the heat that rose into my cheeks when she reminded me that there was a boy sitting at home devastated about this turn of events, and that my behavior was a window into my self-absorbed heart. I was so focused on me that I was blind to the person beside me. I think it's this same kind of blindness that prompts Jesus to tell this parable. A really big crowd has once again gathered around Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us it's a crowd of thousands, so large that they were trampling one another. And from this massive crowd, a guy yells something. I have this picture in my head of a guy at a concert or a golf tournament. You know, the kind of person who waits for that strategic moment of silence to shout out, Marry me, Taylor Swift, or Go Tiger and then congratulates himself by turning around to high-five all his friends. That moment isn't about the musician or the golfer. It's all about the self-absorbed guy who wants to be noticed. And that's how I picture this man from the crowd who calls out to Jesus. And we immediately have a window into his heart. His demand, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, makes it obvious that he really doesn't know what Jesus is about. He came for the show. To be fair, it was very common for rabbis and Pharisees to arbitrate in matters of inheritance like this. But if this guy had been paying any attention at all, he would know that Jesus is not a divider, but a reconciler. Jesus is in the business of community, of bringing people together, not helping them find their ways to take their ball or their money and go home. Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, is not interested in enforcing the letter of the law. Jesus is interested in the attitudes that lie deep in our hearts. And so Jesus tells a parable, a story to unsettle this guy, a story to unsettle us, so that those heart attitudes are laid bare. In this story we have a man, a rich man, a man who happened to possess a really good piece of land, By making the ground of the subject of the very first sentence of the story, Luke makes it clear that there is nothing that this man did to produce or deserve the abundant harvest. So by some stroke of luck, or by God's provision, the man has to figure out what to do with his bumper crop. And then Luke helps us peer into the rich man's heart. In just three short verses, starting at verse 17, the man manages to refer to himself no less than 11 times. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Wow. Talk about self-absorbed and self-congratulatory. If this man had any friends, he'd be high-fiving them all around. But there's the thing. There isn't a single other human character in this story. This man is focused inward to the point of isolation. He has no community. No one with whom he discusses his big decisions. No one with whom he would consider sharing his abundance. No one to celebrate his retirement with. No one to receive his estate when he dies. To the people hearing Jesus tell this story, the isolation would have been glaringly obvious. For Jesus' original audience, community was the highest priority. Deliberations were a group effort. Tithing and giving were the first considerations. Feasting together was commonplace. Passing along an inheritance was the highest form of blessing. And this rich idiot has none of that. He is unable to see beyond himself, and he doesn't even realize what he's missing out on. Most of us don't know what it's like to get an actual bumper crop, but most of us have experienced an abundance of something. And there is nothing like surplus to reveal what lies deep in our hearts. What are the things that we have been given in abundance? For some of us, like the man in the parable, it's wealth. But there are plenty of other things we could name too. Perhaps it's an abundance of time. Or maybe it's the opportunity to be on a sports team or in an elite musical group. Perhaps it's a large family and the guarantee of loved ones to spend holidays and Sunday dinners and summer weekends with. It could be having a seat at the table where decisions are made. Maybe it's the comfort of being surrounded by others who hold the same viewpoints we do. Whatever our surplus is, how do we approach it? When we find ourselves swimming in a deep pool of time or power or privilege or people, are we turned inward, guarding it jealously, Wielding it for our own purposes and our own comfort? Or do we approach our abundance with hearts that are like Christ's, hearts that see the others around us? Is my savings account primarily an attempt to secure my own future, or is it a reflection of a heart that recognizes that all of life is a gift? Is that sports team all about me? Or is it about the team, about building each other up and then celebrating what comes from that? Is my place at the table about protecting my own interests? Or is it about expanding the table to include those who've been left out? Is the comfort of like-minded social circles blinding me to the humanity of those who just see things differently? I suspect that more often than not, we circle our wagons so busy taking care of me and mine that we fail to see beyond that circle. And our blindness isolates us. And we don't even realize what we're missing out on. It is this greed, this selfish desire to take the abundance that we've been given and stockpile it for ourselves that breaks Jesus' heart and prompts this parable. Because why, really, does Jesus tell the story? It's easy to read it and come to the conclusion that it's just a moral-of-the-story kind of tale, a simple warning for the dude from the crowd. Be nice and generous and share with others, or God will take it away. But if Christ is offering grace, what is the grace here for those of us who are more like the rich man in the story than like the invisible people he's been surrounded by? The grace is that Jesus loved this guy enough to pause and tell the story. Jesus' initial response matches the tenor of the remark lobbed out from the crowd. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Man, who appointed me judge between you? It's the kind of thing you'd imagine Taylor Swift or Tiger Woods flippantly shouting back, the kind of thing that makes the guy's buddies laugh and pat him on the back as the show goes on. But instead, there's a pause, and probably some uncomfortable eye contact, and then a response that's real and honest, a response that makes the heat rise in his cheeks, perhaps, but not in a way that's shameful, in a way that says, man, you are so much better than this, and I love you too much to let you go on like this. Jesus' story of the rich fool offers a window through which this man in the crowd might see into his own heart. Jesus offers a way for all of us to see what we might be missing. The way that Luke tells this story exposes how backwards our thinking about abundance is. In verse 17, I have no place to store my crops, Luke uses the same Greek word, karpos crops that he uses elsewhere in his gospel to refer to fruit, the kind of fruit that comes from a good tree or good soil, the kind of fruit by which Christ's followers are known, the kind of fruit that is measured not by how many barns we have, but by how much we give away. And in verse 19, Luke's use of words exposes how backwards our thinking about life is. The Greek reads... And I'll say to my Sukse, "Sukse, you have many things set in place. Now you can rest easy. Soukse is the Greek word that literally means breath, soul, life. The fool thinks he has found life in himself through his own efforts, in the things he has so strategically orchestrated for himself. Which leads us to wonder at the end of the story, is it that God takes his life? Or is it that this man never understood true life to begin with? Christ himself said that he came that we may have life and have it to the full. We often talk about that fullness of life that will be realized in heaven someday far off in the future. But when we limit Christ's grace to that far-off day, we miss half the gospel. The full life that Christ offers can also be found here and now, not in ourselves, but in seeing those around us. Not in isolation, but in community. Not in greedily storing up abundance, but in sharing it with each other in an all-encompassing attitude of generosity that creates community and offers us a glimpse of the kingdom. And so Christ tells us stories to unsettle us, to make the heat rise in our cheeks, to open the windows into our hearts, to awaken us to the ways that we miss out on the full life here and now. Jesus heard that guy in the crowd, And he loved him too much to roll his eyes and keep walking. And Jesus loves us too much to leave us where we are. This parable is so much more than a warning. It's a vision of biblical community. An invitation to to experience the joy and blessing of God's kingdom here on earth. Because the mysterious truth of Christ's invitation in this parable is that we get to experience the blessing of true life if we can figure out how to stop guarding the abundance for ourselves. It's in our open hands and open hearts that we get to have a taste of that kingdom that is both already and not yet. When we have an attitude of generosity toward those around us, the result is a community that shows us what that fullness of life can look like. One person who seemed to understand this was Rachel Held Evans. Evans was a popular Christian blogger, author, and speaker. By the time of her unexpected death at age 37, she had already written four New York Times bestsellers and could claim a few hundred thousand followers on Twitter. And as her writing and speaking career took off, Evans found herself enjoying a wide platform. But she became increasingly unsettled by the realization that there were others who didn't enjoy the same privilege and influence as she did. Following her death, many people commented on her efforts to reach people at the margins of traditional Christianity. One of the ways she did this was by reaching out to Christians of color who were developing their own platforms. One of those people was Austin Austin Channing Brown. Brown was a blogger, too, and she is now also the author of the best-selling book, I'm Still Here, black dignity in a world made for whiteness. After Evans died, Brown wrote about Evans on her blog. At every step in my career, Rachel has been there, cheering and supporting and making it happen. She was a champion of inclusion and not just in theory. She was a true champion with her platform, her money, her time, her contacts, her access. Generous is the word I keep coming back to. Another author in a tribute to Evans wrote, Evans helped forge new space for diverse voices who are denied authority or power in the Christian world, a legacy that will last far beyond her death. In forging that new space, Evans gathered and created a beautiful community of people. It's a network of relationships that is still today working to create new spaces for diverse voices. This is fullness of life here and now. Through his death, Christ demonstrated what it looks like when abundance is given away freely. Drawing others in, creating a community of people who would otherwise not be together. And Christ has invited us to do the same to use our abundance to draw others in, creating a community that offers a glimpse into God's kingdom. This kingdom is marked by an attitude of generosity toward others that doesn't allow us to become isolated. A posture of abundant humility that places Christ at the center rather than ourselves. Seeing our money and our other resources as opportunities to draw others in. Using our privilege and decision-making groups to widen the lens and open the circle. Approaching those who have different views with a spirit of humility and generosity that runs counter to the cancel culture we've all succumbed to. Understanding deep in our bones that we all have something to offer each other, that we all have something to receive from each other, and that we desperately need each other to have life to the full. Experiencing firsthand the mysteriously beautiful and complicated community that is produced not by our own strategic efforts, but by the power of Christ as our common bond. Christ loves us so much that he died for our eternal future. And he loves us so much that he lived to show us the fullness of life that is possible in the present. And because God loves us too much to walk away, rolling his eyes, leaving us where we are, God keeps finding ways to unsettle us, to help us see into our hearts and beyond ourselves. Do we recognize those parables that God places in our line of vision each day? The person on the street corner asking for money, he may be the unsettling grace that we need today. The hard questions that churches are wrestling with, those questions may be the unsettling grace that we need today the woman who lashes out in frustration that her voice is not being heard, the aggravating Facebook posts by a fellow school parent, the exhausting coworker, the quiet departure of a fellow church member, they all may be the unsettling grace that we need today. Because sometimes, I think, grace feels like the heat that rises in your cheeks when a teacher points out what you're missing. Will you pray with me? Jesus, our teacher and our Savior, thank you for the ways that you save us from ourselves. Help us to receive your grace even when it unsettles us, and to hear your invitation both to the life here and now and to the life to come. Amen. Thank you for listening to Le Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.